Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is Mailbag Friday. The People's Holiday has returned. We also have Weldon Rodenberg um, on a post-spring wrap-up. Get into some quarterback battle stuff as well as uh, – some quarterback recruiting as the Rebels had movement in that regard, got into some Rashada, Reed, and where Arch factors into that as well. Weldon had some interesting thoughts at the top, plus a dynamite soccer corner at the end, possibly our best yet. The Premier League is coming down to the wire, and uh, I know you guys know I'll be tuning in. I hope you will too as we discuss Weldon's club struggles. The USA is in the World Cup, Brentford right there in the middle back, and Saudi Castle, just absolutely a freight train from hell, just like uh weldon predicted a couple of months ago so great soccer corner there at the end plus some awesome recruiting and college football Ole Miss discussion um recorded that earlier in the week I don't think anything's changed like that was, that was a Tuesday night conversation but um I don't think anything has changed later in the week but you know whenever we record something a couple of days out I like to give the people some notice so we'll get to weldon first then get to your mailbag questions coming at you a little bit later on a Friday I was meant intended to put this up uh, early this morning after I recorded Mailbag Friday, but uh, my alarm did not go off, and uh, so I did not have time before I had to get to my day job. So that's on me. I got to be better. Really, my iPhone charging cord needs to perform better, but I'm not a guy to make excuses. So anyway, better late than never. Here we go. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Just because March Madness is in it does not mean Skybox is slowing down. They're crushing it in the NBA playoffs. They got NASCAR rolling. Uh, they hit an 18-unit play last weekend. They're guessing the winner of the NASCAR race. Mark Harris and the Skybox NASCAR crew over there doing a wonderful job. Their MLB package is going to hit the site, I believe, on Monday. I'll double-check on the Sunday show for you guys, but I believe the MLB package is going to hit the site on Monday. NBA playoffs turning along. Give them a little taste before we get back into football season. It's going to be here for you. Know it. Make some money. Build up your bankroll before you get the football season. Skybox is going to help you do that more consistently than anyone in the industry, certainly more so than your own brain. You don't want the bookie texting you on Sunday night, Monday morning, asking you to square up. Already got the scaries. Just make some worse. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Skybox is going to help you do that. Whether it's a month-long package, week-long, I'd recommend going for uh, – the all-year, all-access pass, but you can do sports-centric for a season. It really uh, – really, any pick, picks package within your price range, they're going to have something for you. So, check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use that promo code RIPPY and get 20% off any purchase. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. Oxford is such a lucky – such so lucky to have a place like LB's. If you're a RIPPY Right subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Type in your email. You get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Just go show Greg proof of subscription to the newsletter, and uh, he'll get you set up. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. We're entering prime grilling season. The weather's awesome. You got great sports on TV. Throw something on the grill outside. Enjoy the day. Watch some games. LB's is going to make your day even better because whatever you throw on the grill, Greg wants to make it great, whether that's uh, bacon wrap filet, all kinds of different cuts, delicious seafood, sausages, all kinds of different sides. Love the filet burgers. is always a basic starter. Um, the jalapeno sausage is incredible. 
Um, it is great stuff. Ribeye sausage as well. I'm just naming stuff because I'm hungry. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Let's get to Weldon Rodenberg, and then I'll hit your mailbag questions there at the end. All right. We now welcome on Rippy Wright's football correspondent, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Weldon Rodenberg. We're here to break down every snap of the spring game. We had the two <laughs> deep up the last 48 hours. Now we're here to recap the spring, talk some quarterback storylines, and uh, really send the football stuff into the summer. How are you, my friend? This is not football season for you. This is NBA playoff season. It's NBA playoff season. Block up. I have not been able to say very often in my life. I think maybe three times – the the Hornets back in the good old days with Chris Paul, they played the Lakers in the playoffs to like 4-2 with Kobe. It was awesome. Then Anthony Davis went and they swept the Blazers. And this is like the, really the third time in my life that I've been able to watch and enjoy the NBA playoffs. And it, it's been so much fun. I mean, this team is so much fun to watch. Very nervous about tonight, though. Oh, yeah. We record this on a uh, Tuesday evening. It's probably not yeah. coming out till later in the week, but this is we're an hour before hours, a half or so before the Pels tip off in game five against the Pels. I think by the time this drops, uh, we might have gone through game six. So Weldon is nervous. I know. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, I'm looking forward to getting out of here and watching it as uh, as well. It's fun, man. Like the, there's so many good NBA playoff crowds, but the I will say the Pels crowd, when it's rocking, sticks out. And there's certainly nicer NBA arenas. And, you know, the fact that it's not separate from the Saints in terms of, like, who's running it or whatever. There's some disadvantages, and I get the whole move the team deal and all that. But, man, when you have a good product there, the idea that New Orleans doesn't care about basketball, I just think is demonstrably false. It's honestly one of the craziest thought processes that a lot of these national people have is that Louisiana, New Orleans, and, you know, South Louisiana don't care about basketball. I mean, some of the athletes that have gone through Louisiana in basketball history, I mean, it's up there with any other state just per capita. I mean, thinking about, you know, obviously Shaq was from West Virginia and grew up in Germany, but he is known for LSU. Then you have Pete Maravich known for LSU. And then you've got some much more, you know, low-key guys. I mean, Randy Livingston is the head coach at Newman, Newman head basketball coach. He was, like, the number one player in the country the same year Peyton Manning was the number one player in the country for football, was a, was a Louisiana legend and got injured before he could play. Um, Drake Davis, infamously Drake Davis's dad, um, Lester Earl, was one of the best athletes to ever come out of Louisiana. Um, I think he was at Glen Oaks and Baton Rouge. He ended up going to Kansas and playing the NBA. I mean, there's so much basketball history in this state. And the fact that, you know, people Hell think they can't support it is is a joke. Yeah, we got Carl Malone, too, the mailman. Yeah, we don't talk about Carl as much. But, yes. This happened in the spring. So, this is before we were doing podcasts. I think I've told the story before. But last spring, I was in a – I had to go to a wedding. My girlfriend was in it in Ruston. It was one of her grad school friends she'd become really close with. One of those deals where I don't know anyone in the wedding party, maybe like yeah. one or two guys I met once or twice. Well, I go and play golf with these guys that I don't know to kind of kill time while she's doing the wedding party things. Long story short, maybe some Coors Lights were had. I don't know. I'm not confirming nor denying anything. I uh, I don't have to go to the wedding. It's a small church. But then I uh, turn on the Ole Miss baseball game in my hotel room. And then I wake up at 745, 20 minutes after the reception has started. And I'm still in my golf clothes. Uh, Rustin doesn't have Uber. 
Uh, I think people just to make it till you make it around there. Um, and so I walk into this thing really late. I can't say she's overly mad. I think she's more just amused at my idiocy, but <laughs> I'm the awkward guy walking in late. And all of a sudden this lady taps me on the shoulder and she's like, can you take a picture of me and my family? And I'm like, hell yeah, hero ball. I'm about to get the most out of this. I'm taking family, family photos for these nice people. I'm the most charitable guy at this wedding guy in the middle. I'm like, Holy shit. This dude's tall. Who is this? I was like, they're like, that's Carl Maloney's family friends with the bride. Oh my no God. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Carl Maloney. Yeah. Probably, I don't know what kind of wedding this was, but he had to be the most recognizable person there, Rip. I mean, <laughs> oh, he absolutely was. I mean, I was wondering when they walked in the outdoor tent, I was like, this guy going to hit his head? Does he have to duck? Um, yeah. And another breaking news Carl Malone hanging out with his family. Good for him. So, uh, a lot of basketball. <laughs> we went off the rails quick. A lot of basketball history right. in the state of Louisiana. We got the Pels going this. Uh, this evening uh, as well. And what's a great series with, uh, you know, they got a real shot without Devin Booker. Who would have thought? Crazy NBA yeah. playoffs. Definitely a real shot. Speaking of, uh, you know, the blender looked like a party there night. I'll tell you what looked like a party was Oxford Ole Miss double-decker weekend. I mean, <laughs> the end of the Mike Bianco era, as we know it, essentially happened. And that was like a footnote for the weekend. Uh, you know, I would say a decent-sized spring game crowd. But then you had Kiffin go on stage at double-decker and all that packed first time in three years. If you're talking about which athletic program I'd say took the most momentum out of that party of the weekend, it is certainly Ole Miss. And we could start, I don't know, a number of different places. Let's just start with the spring game before we get to the recruiting side of it. Not a ton to take from it. Um, quarterback's probably the main storyline. And I think you know, probably our collective thinking has changed in the sense that as we leave spring, this will again, this doesn't mean anything right now, but it sounds like, you know, if you had to put weight, wager on who might start the season opener, it's probably Luke Altmyer right now. I think he's had a demonstrably better spring than Jackson Dart. He's got another year in the system. He's made less mistakes. He's kind of been the don't wreck the Ferrari guy where Dart's been a little more reckless. Dart's also coming off an injury. Just based on what you heard this spring, what do you, how do you kind of view this quarterback situation now as opposed to maybe when he committed in January? Um, I think – when I was on here last, I said that, you know, they didn't sign Jackson Dart to not start him. And everything I've heard this whole spring, and I'm not going to sit here and, you know, act like I've been asking every single person I can to figure out what's going on. That would be false. But I have asked a few people and that what you've said is basically true. And that seems to be the, the consensus around anybody who's talking about it is you know, the ball comes out of Dart's hands differently. And he's a little bit bigger, uh, a little bit more athletic, but his decision-making and grasp of what they wanted to do has just been not, not there to what they need. And Luke has been more in the system, more consistent, uh, more accurate, but not necessarily, you know, popping, which is not that surprising. I mean, he doesn't have the biggest arm, you know, compared to Matt Corral or compared to Dart or some of the past quarterbacks you've seen at Ole Miss, but – He's more athletic than people give him credit for. That's for damn sure. He's competitive as hell, and he's really tough. And that, those kinds of traits, you know, they don't sound that exciting, but that can really win you a job if you do everything correctly. You're smart, calculated, take care of the football, and have the ability to make plays when they're not there and not turn the ball over, then you can win this job. Uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to concede my initial thoughts on, you know, you didn't sign Jackson Dart not to play him, but it's very, very clear that there's a real battle going on, which is more than I was expecting. Not because I didn't think Luke was capable, just because of the circumstances and going and signing a high-profile transfer like that. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens down the road with it. Uh, I do think it's a real battle, which is more than I could have said going into it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you nailed it with that. You know, I was writing something about two weeks ago in the newsletter, and I was looking up um, some Jackson Dart stuff. And by that, I just mean kind of like his path and his storyline. I ended up spending a lot more time on it than I thought. So this is a guy that blows up later in the recruiting process. Um, I think that was part Well, of I'll start real quick with that. So yeah, it's, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah, he blows up late. Um, just a quick anecdote. Utah is a very weird state. It's very uh, population-centric in the Salt Lake area north. Uh, they started their football season like three weeks before everybody else does in yeah. the entire country. And Dart comes out. I think he actually transferred from somewhere in Arizona, possibly, and then ended up in Utah, or maybe was in Utah then transferred. He schools, and the first one had a very weird offense to where you would have never known who the kid yeah. was. Is what I gathered. Switch schools, and then uh, so I'm just looking up stat leaders, and it's like early in the season. I'm like, God, this guy's got 12 touchdowns and, and 6,000 yards. Like this, the season started last week. Well, it actually started for them. Four weeks before that, he literally threw for five touchdowns a game. And he was committed to, I think, either BYU or Utah State and then absolutely blew up from there on. So that's kind of how it started, which was lucky for him that he went to that school. Uh, that's actually the same school where Devin Brown started and then he went to Arizona. So it was kind of a weird – it's like Corner Canyon or something like that. It's a weird yeah, flip. Exactly. Continue with what you were saying, and I'll just kind of give him some context to what happened with him. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's good color to add to it. But I was more just for the fact that so he blows up late. He ends up uh, going to USC. And I talked to his uh, trainer a while back for, I think, right when he committed in January. Um, and I wouldn't say he's surprised that he ended up at USC, but I think it all happened fast. Where I don't think he had the typical like recruitment of a high school kid. And while I do think when he was going through the recruitment process through the portal, it was definitely him trying to figure out if Caleb Williams was actually coming. But I do think he was soaking up the recruitment process in a bit because he wasn't a guy that got to do it for two years at these major schools. Yeah. So he has that happen at USC. He's an early enrollee. He goes through the spring. He is the second string guy. He gets thrown into the fire like three games into the season. But four days before he gets thrown in the fire, his coach that recruited him gets fired. Goes in, throws four touchdowns after I think he threw a pick on the opening drive. Then he tears his meniscus. Then he rehabs it for six weeks, comes back and plays non-healthy for the final five games of the year. Plays pretty well, all things considered, with some limited mobility. Then they hired the only coach in the country that probably had kind of, you know, I would say the inline path to replace him, right? I mean, I, I talked to Antonio Morales, a buddy of mine who covers USC. Oh, yeah. We kind of thought from the standpoint of like, I don't know if there's any other quarterback in the country that could have come to USC in which Dart wouldn't have remained the starter other than Caleb Williams. So then Caleb Williams comes and then he's bounced. And then he's a Utah kid that comes to Oxford, Mississippi, and is now an early, I say early enrollee, going through spring practice, competing for the starting job. And his 19th birthday as we sit is seven days from now. This kid, that is all that has happened before the kid's 18 years old. That's a lot of life to live by the time you're 18 years old. And I don't even really have a point with that. I listened to a couple press conferences. He seems like a mature kid. From everything I've heard, he's a smart kid. He'll probably end up figuring it out and be fine. But that just stuck out to me to like, man, that's a whirlwind by the time you turn 19 years old. 
It absolutely is. It's, it's instability versus stability with Luke, who's been here under this system. And of course, I'm sure this system is similar to last year, but with some different, you know, fixes and dynamics and whatnot. Um, but Dart, yeah, I mean, quarterbacks especially is super, super rare that you have a kid blow up like that. Um, it happens all the time with other kinds of athletes where you get more tape or maybe he runs track and you find some more uh, data points on them. Um, but quarterbacks, it like never happens, almost, literally almost never. And it did for him. And then, of course, he gets there, you know, like you said, gets fired. And, of course, Lincoln Riley comes in and, you know, everyone hates on the transfer portal. But if you're Jackson Dart and Lincoln Riley's coming in and he's bringing Williams with him, you know, it's, it's a completely different dynamic than just losing a battle. It's this is a coach just handpicking his quarterback. Like, I have no shot here. Goes through the recruiting process is kind of visiting all over the place. You know, I'm sure he went to Oklahoma, didn't he? And that was a weird deal because obviously Gabriel ended up there who was coming from UCLA and UCF. So he's gone through a lot. He's in a wild culture shock. I don't know if he's a Mormon or not, but he's up there in Utah. And now he's in Mississippi. Very different deal. Very different coaching style. And a, probably a very, very different offense from what Helton was running at USC. Um, that being said, at some point, you just, you got to figure it out. No one's going to feel bad for you. And, you know, people think that he's just going to start because they brought him in. And I thought that as well, but I was assuming that he was going to make the strides and prove it himself just because I know how talented the kid is and have followed him for a while. But Kiffin's not going to play this kid if he doesn't believe that he's going to give him the best chance to win. That will never happen. He's going to play the best player, and he's going to have to prove it eventually, despite all the kind of "quote unquote" adversity that he's gone through. Yeah, I think you're dead on with that. And the fact that, so <clears throat> you know, we we've, we've had this one-time free transfer thing for what, like, two years now, I guess. But what, like, we what we haven't seen is a ton of notable guys who have used up the one-time free transfer who are really young that can't do the whole grad transfer thing, to where. How do you think it factors in? I think you're right. I mean, Kevin is obviously going to play the best quarterback, but do you subscribe to the theory that, like, he could still stick around just because there's nowhere to go? Like, in a world where he isn't – I think this I think this probably ends up actually going into the season with the way the schedule sets up. But, like, how do you factor in the idea that he can't necessarily go anywhere else? Maybe there's a loophole that I'm not thinking of, but I think he would have to sit out of here, right? Oh, he, he can't go anywhere else. That's yeah. the biggest issue with the portal. I, mean, I, I the players should be able to go wherever they want, but it's very weird that if one of these younger kids transfer, that they have more um, trying to think of the word, you have less control over the player. If he signs with you than you do, if he transfers to you, right? If you're a school that signs a player, you have like no control. He can leave whatever he wants. If you're the second school, you have all the control because he can't leave again without sitting out. I, I do not see if Dart ends up losing this battle and honestly, or Luke, I don't see either of these kids transferring out. Um, I think that they both believe they can be the quarterback. You need depth. And I don't think they're just going to you know, run away from it. I think it'll probably go into the season. I don't love the idea of that. Um, I, I hope it doesn't. I hope one of them stands out, but you do need both of them to stay. And I don't think either of them would leave in my opinion, at least. You never know what these kids think. But Dart, especially because, like I just said, he has, like, no control over his situation now. He's here until he can graduate transfer. 
Yeah, no, you're right. And like, if anything, you would have thought of like, if, if Dart had come in and blown everyone away and Luke really struggled, the path to one of them leaving is Luke leaving after spring in the summer. And where we sit right now, that is obvi- very obviously not happening. So I think you're right. I also think it probably ne- wouldn't necessarily go into the season if Ole Miss's schedule didn't set up the way they did. Like, they actually right. kind of have the ability to do that, which is the perfect year for it, right? They have the, you know, the four non-conference games. The only tough one in there is they go to Georgia Tech, which is kind of a weird road game. They get Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and then they finish with the West. Now, going into that seventh game, I forget who it is off the top of my head. I can look it up in just a second. It's like, it's like Kentucky and then Auburn starts off the gauntlet. Yeah, I think you're right. It is. You're right. It is Auburn. And so – like I don't think you know. Are they deciding between a quarterback at that point? I don't think that's the case. But I think they can oh, go no, a game no. or two. Hope not. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think they can go a game or two. So they go Troy, Central Arkansas, and then that road game at Georgia Tech. Would they like to have a guy by Georgia Tech? Obviously, you know. If it doesn't, though, you get Tulsa, and then obviously, and then I think by the point of getting to Kentucky October 1 and then at Vanderbilt before we go through the West Call, you definitely want to have a guy by then. But I think they're afforded the option. I think that's what makes this this whole thing a little bit more interesting. And so you've worked in a building, you've recruited a bunch of guys in terms of quarterbacks picking it up. So Luke obviously has the head start to where he's been in more or less the same system. I'm sure it's obviously not identical, but close to it. And just being in the program versus a guy dealing with a lot of new, it's a fascinating dynamic because on the flip side of this is Kiffin's mentioned a couple of times throughout the spring that while um, Dart is throwing it, you know, making too many mistakes, slinging it too far down the field, the ball sailing off his back foot some. They're trying to get Luke to do a little bit more of that. They're trying to get him to push a little bit more down the field. So it really is a fascinating dynamic of each of them having to find a happy medium, but just in the polar opposite direction. And to actually throw that into a question, like how how much stock do you put in the fact that like he can make up that ground of a lack of experience in the system, he being dart over the summer into the fall? Like, do you think by fall in terms of experience in the system, they'll be on pretty even footing? I do think so. I would call spring kind of like, you know, a NASCAR race or F1 or whatever. It's like getting pole position for going into fall camp. No one is really winning or losing a battle in spring, especially a quarterback battle that's as close as it is. They're not just going to name a guy and then call it ones and twos going into fall. Fall is such a different vibe, I guess is the best word to say. During practice, it's much more competitive. It's much more nailing down what you're going to do and ramping up slowly but surely to get into the season. Uh, I really think one uh, one or the other will distinguish themselves in the fall. It's usually how it ends up working. You kind of begin to settle in, whether it's quarterback, running back, O-line, D-line, who are the guys. You start splitting up the reps differently and start, you know, cutting them down when you get closer and closer to the season, especially with Kiffin, who likes to, you know, keep legs fresh. Um, I think he's going to have to figure – or dart, at least, have to be on equal terms by the time fall starts and really halfway through fall or, you know, August camp or whatever the hell it is these days. Because um, it's it's a long camp, it's a lot of practices, practices, a lot of install, and if he is incapable of whether it's getting the offense or cleaning up the mistakes, they're going to go with Altmaier. But what you said about Altmaier is like it's the exact opposite. They're both you know pushing the opposite directions, 
if you call shot plays in this offense, which they do often and frequently, you have to be able to take it because that's – if you don't, then you're completely handicapping your own team. And if he's if he doesn't do that, maybe Kiffin does say, hey, you know, we're going to run the ball a ton. We have got two really good running backs. Maybe we'll keep Jackson in there, and at least he can make the deep ball and is willing to take it when it's open. Unfortunately, so far, he's just been – making terrible mistakes. And you saw it in the spring game and at least what we've heard out of spring. So I, I, it's hard to say what's going to happen. I think by the fall, your Jackson is going to have to be able to figure out and overcome some of the issues that Luke has not had so far. And then what we haven't really seen from the dart aspect of it all is fully healthy. One of the biggest things I took away from talking to his trainer, coach, whatever the hell you want to call it, kind of the off-season guy, is the fact that he's sort of best – when he's out of structure and improvising and he's actually very mobile, you just didn't see that in his freshman year because of the meniscus deal. And mm-hmm. well, I wouldn't consider Luke immobile. I was actually kind of impressed with the way he moved around and escaped some stuff against a really good Baylor defensive line. I just wonder if he dart cuts down on the mistakes, the mobility aspect of it ends up being a bit of an advantage for him because it does sound like he's a little bit more mobile and a little bit more athletic than when fully healthy. I'm just curious to see what that looks like to be completely honest. Well, he's definitely a lot bigger. So yeah. I think he can take some of the hits that Luke – I don't think there's a huge difference, the mobility between the two of them. They both are, you know, willing and able runners that can at least keep you honest, but they're not breaking open a defense with their legs by any means. Um, but the healthier he gets, the more that becomes a strength in his game. It's definitely an asset for him. Um, but I don't think Luke is so far down the line that it's just a huge advantage for Dart necessarily. The other two things that are going to be fascinating about how this shakes out is who they're throwing to and who's protecting them, the second part being particularly from a depth standpoint. We'll talk about the receiver part of it, though, first. I wouldn't say Ole Miss came out of fall – I was about to say fall camp, spring practice with just a boatload of confidence in their receiving court. Sounds like Jonathan Mingo's foot injury is still lingering a little bit. Jaywin Knox was out, I think, pretty much all spring. Seems like Jordan Watkins and Trigg were the kind of predominant two guys. I think J.J. Henry had a decent spring game. In terms of who they're going to throw to – how do you view that right now, and how much do you think that changes with the summer? Because it does sound like reinforcements are on the way in the form of Malik Heath and Deion Smith. How do you review the, view the receiver position? And we'll just throw Trigg in there as well because he's kind of the cut-and-dry tight end at this point. Just who they're throwing to, how do you view that right now? Well, we, we can start with the positives, and, that, and that's Trigg. I mean, he <laughs> – Looks like something I, they haven't had in a while there. Maybe ever. I mean, he is – he looks like a more athletic, stronger Evan Ingram. And, you know, Evan gets a lot of flack because, for some reason, he's incapable of catching a football in the NFL. But he was a hell of a college football player. A first-round draft pick, deservingly so. Trigg is, looks bigger, looks more physical, looks stronger, looks faster. I mean, he is – he's the real deal. And coming out of high school – he was a dual sport guy. He was a legitimate basketball prospect, not one of these guys you throw an offer to for fun. He was a guy that legitimately could play, and, you know, Kermit could probably use him at this point. Um, <laughs> That's for sure. But, like, he's a freak athlete. He really is. I mean, he didn't get a lot done at USC, a lot of turmoil there. I think he had some injury issues. He looks really healthy, and he's going to be an absolute weapon. I, I see him being the – the Elijah Moore, 
the Drummond, the kind of force feed player this year out of that receiver position, um, he's going to be tough to cover. There's not going to be many teams that can, to be honest. And in this league, I think if they use him right, he stays healthy, quarterback plays good, he's going to be an absolute problem. Uh, the negatives are basically every other position <laughs> in the receiving core, outside, slot. There's a lot of guys in that room. You know, there's guys we know that have been disappointing, Dennis and Jaden Jackson. Uh, and then there's kind of some unknowns, some younger guys below them, uh, J.J. Henry, Buck Halter. I don't even remember seeing Braylon Brown. Maybe he was out there in a different jersey. I w- let's not act like I was paying that close attention when I was watching the spring game, but I don't remember seeing him. Um, then Jalen Knox is – like a ghost. I'm not even sure if he exists. I know he's on the team, but he's hurt now. And he was hurt for most all of spring. Right. Hurt for all of spring and like was not technically on the roster last year. So I, he, he's a. Do you even know what he looks like? <laughs> don't even know what he looks like. I barely remember him. Uh, and then who else we got? Watkins looks like he's going to be a guy who can contribute. He is sort of a one trick pony. From what I can remember, he's kind of a deep ball guy. He's not really a, he's a nine route guy. And Mingo, he's giving me some Zion Williamson vibes with this foot injury. Uh, he was back on a, a kind of a cart boot deal. I don't know if – did he have surgery? So, or, I don't know if he had another deal? surgery. But remember, so he came – he get obviously the Alabama deal last year, and then he came right. back to what, A&M. And clearly he wasn't 100% of himself. But I just thought with an off season, it was like, okay, that won't be an issue. It is apparently still an issue. Uh, to be honest, I have no idea if he had another surgery – but it is right. clearly not cured. I would assume something else had to happen if that dude's still wheeling around on a uh, like a cart thing. Very concerning. Um, he that's very concerning. I don't know what the deal is with that. Maybe I should do it if I'm going to come on this podcast, but I, I do not know. Um, they're going to have to have some serious reinforcements. They're having to. Malik Heath, you you know what he is. He's a big, strong, physical, really good hands. Um, not a speed demon by any means, a possession guy, and he's really good at it. He's also a wild card. You just don't know what kind of attitude you're getting with that kid. You don't know what he's going to come in like. Um, so, yes, the talent's there, but, you know, the stability with him is not. And then Deion Smith, assuming he gets his grades in order at LSU, he's a, he's a stud. You know, he, he also had some injury issues last year at LSU and then ended up in, in the transfer portal. Talent-wise, he will be the best receiver on this team day one. But you need to get that figured out, get him in, get him to learn the offense all throughout fall camp. So he's going to be behind just simply by the book with some of these other guys that have been here. So they've got to figure out that room. I know they had that UCF kid, the Robinson kid on campus. He's a transfer. I don't know much about him. I remember him. Um, they clearly covered him. So I think they're looking – they have to get some receivers on this team because if you're going to have, you know, suspect quarterback play, which I don't think will necessarily be the case, but they're not confident in that position yet, you got to have some guys who can make the plays, you know, with the ball in their hands in space. And right now they're clearly, with the exception of Trigg, aren't overly confident in those abilities. And the positive side of it is Lane Kiffin, pretty damn good track record with tight ends that are capable, right? Like, we, you know, the first half of the year – with uh, Yeboah. Yeboah, there we go. And then Harrison Bryan Award winner there the year before. Uh, Harrison Bryan Award winner. My God, Mackey Award winner that Evan Ingram got screwed out of in Harrison Bryant at UCF. 
Um, so pretty good track record there. And it seems like if they have the personnel, a guy that prefers to have a go-to tight end in his offense, that seems like something that he's pretty comfortable with. I think you're right, though. Outside of that, it's uh, the, the Mingo injury part is what makes it seem really dicey. Because while you feel pretty good about Malik Heath's chances and Deion Smith's chances of showing up in the summer, particularly Heath, you just don't know. Like, that's an unknown. They're definitely not a guy that's been in your system for a while. The known commodities that are what are on the roster right now, I think the Mingo lack of health is probably the biggest concern because it seems like it's honestly gotten to the point, and I won't put J.J. Henry in this category. I don't know what to make of the Braylon Brown thing. I don't remember hearing his name for most of the spring. Maybe no. there was something I missed. Been locked into a crappy baseball team. Got to forgive me there. <laughs> but, like, the – the Dennis and Jadens of the world and whoever else you would put in that kind of third, fourth year category in the, like, don't you have to almost write them off? I hate to be, I hate to say that. And then in the fall, they have contributions, but at a certain point, like they got to do something for you, right? They haven't, there hasn't been a, any sort of pop in spring or anything like that to lead you to believe that they can be consistent SEC receivers. Cause I can tell you last fall did not lead you to believe that either. No, yeah, I mean, is right off the correct way to go about it or the correct way for us to say it? Maybe not, but you can't be reliant on them sure. by any means. I think that's that's probably what you mean by that. And so, yeah, you've got to find guys who can come in and play. And so far, I mean, I haven't seen – I mean, Mark Britt, he's another ghost who was – on. I know he's on this team somewhere. I think he's actually back on defense now, which shows what his abilities on offense were, I guess. Um so, yeah, there's a lot of concerns with that position. J.J. Henry, do you think he has a chance to contribute this year? He looked – he had a couple of plays that I just saw via highlight because I was out of town during the spring game that kind of, like, looked very shifty out of the slot. Um, love J.J. Henry. So, you, love, do you think he's got a pretty good chance to be the slot guy this year or a slot guy, I should say? I think he's got a chance to be a slot guy this year, absolutely. I mean, he was getting reps during all the injury issues last year. A few of them, I remember somebody – I think he, like, corralled through a deep ball against LSU, and he almost caught it. And people in the stands like, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> like, who is 88? Or, you know, is that guy a walk-on? And, you no, know, he's a little smaller. He looks like he's actually gotten a little bit more muscle mass than he had last year. Um, kid out of Texas was a awesome high school player, one of my favorite guys to watch. We knew he was small, but he was dynamic playing against some of the best talent in the country. He was in, like, 6A McKinney District out of Dallas. Uh, big time and yeah I had a lot of hope for him and he seems like he's at least solidifying himself as an option which it seems like not a lot of these other guys are uh, so that's a great to see I think he'll get some playing time. Uh, offensive line wise the, the two lines are really fascinating storylines because it seemed like it's flip-flopped a little bit and not that Ole Miss had tremendous depth on the offensive line last year but they were more than serviceable they were certainly lacking in the trenches. And one of the things that you've heard Kiffin talk about throughout the spring is he feels like the defensive line could be the strength of this defense, particularly from a depth standpoint. You know, for all of the – whatever you want to make about the recruiting philosophy, clearly retooling the roster via the portal has worked. I mean, you look at this roster from last year that we talked about at the beginning of spring, it's like, okay, they got you know, a pretty good amount of talent here, decent amount of depth. Whatever you want to make of the high school aspect of it, I think a testament to the the method that's working is the fact that he's entering year three, and when he arrived, they were totally devoid of defensive line depth, and now they kind of finally have it. And I guess two years is kind of right on track, but sometimes it takes even longer to build that. That's not something you fix overnight. Yeah, well, it's getting guys in and then obviously having them contribute. So you, you've they've taken a bunch of bolt guys, they've taken a bunch of transfer guys, and for 
so far has really worked out for him. The Juco guys, Iton kind of came on towards the year. Jamon Gordon was a guy who could play snaps for you. <clears throat> and then now this year you're adding, you know, Clowney's another year. He's getting bigger, though he's kind of an outside linebacker. But in terms of defensive line, we're, we'll count the outside linebackers. Um, Brandon Mack is healthy, and I think they're going to expect him to play a lot of minutes this year. Um, Jaden Ivey, the kid from Georgia Tech, he, he'll be a, a player that will get in and out. Robinson's still there. Uh, they just got a lot of players. You know, J.J., I, one of my favorite recruits ever, has been meant to – born to play defensive line. If they can kind of find that spark and that motivation for him at that position change, he's got a chance to be an awesome player. Um, plus some of the recruits, you know, Demarcus Smith and DeSanto Rowland, they just got a lot of guys there. And it's kind of a different deal where offensive line, you know, defensive line, you can have depth. They don't all have to be all-stars. But if you can roll out – you know, nine, ten deep of guys that you trust to go onto the field and contribute in a semi-positive way, then you're in really good shape. And I think they're kind of in that range where they've got a two deep, possibly even more at all three positions on the defensive line they're really confident in. And it's, that's not even including the baseball player, Tywell Malone, like whatever to make of him, right? That's – We forgot about our best yeah, baseball player. <laughs> it's kind of like the, to speak to the uh, – I wonder if he plays an instrument too. But that kind of speaks to the depth that they've uh, formulated pretty quickly there. When when y'all when you guys recruited Pagese out of high school, because he actually played offense, I believe, at the beginning at Auburn and then flipped over, yes. was he always going to play defense for you guys, or were you just trying to get him in the boat and see what happened? Well, How did you guys kind of view that when you were recruiting him? He didn't know it yet, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> it was the classic Devin White, LSU. Well, yeah, you can play running back, Devin. You know, so that's what you want to do, good. And then we're going to move you to linebacker, and you're going to be a first-round pick. You know, Fair JJ, enough. that was the same kind of thought process. Like, yeah, of course you can play tight end. Uh, and then once you get here and bulk up 30 pounds, which is exactly what he did at Auburn, you're going to move to, you know, three-tech defensive linemen, and you're going to have a chance to be a first-round pick. Now, I'm not putting those expectations on him. I'm just saying out of high school, our thought process was definitely this guy has the measurables, the athletic ability to be an absolute terror at defensive line, and he could be a very minute one-trick pony at tight end. Like, this is ridiculous. So, uh, but it's one of my favorite kids ever. But uh, I'm very happy he's on this team. I think he's going to be a real contributor um, and end up being a big-time player. He had an interesting couple, like I would say, a couple of quotes. They talked to him, I think, a couple of weeks ago, maybe like midway through spring. And it wasn't like a um, – it wasn't a oh – shit, what was that kid's name from – from the Bronx who they never let us talk to him after one, he dropped the F bomb and two, he gave away a game plan against Alabama. Oh, Kadir Shepard. Yeah, Kadir there Shepard. we go. It wasn't a Kadir Shepard off the cuff type of thing, which I personally loved, but it was very like low key candid to where he was talking about his journey back to Ole Miss, about how much enjoying he's being back home to where he was saying Malzahn got fired. And then he was like, and then I tried out the new coaching staff and he was like, didn't love the culture or the environment there. Just like very matter of fact, which was not exactly a ringing endorsement of Brian Harson. at all. Just very bad. He was basically just like, it was reading between the lines. He was like, yeah, it was hell in there. It sucked. And I wanted to get out of there. Not what he saw. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it's also very believable considering everything else that's coming out of there. But sure. like, he wasn't even trying to like hammer Auburn. He was just like, yeah, it wasn't great over there. And I got out. But you mentioned his body looks in good shape. Um, that's been a note throughout the spring. And then another guy on the defensive line, 
a Katie Hill who kind of played a, I wouldn't say an unsung role last year, but was certainly a serviceable guy they could put in there. They just lacked the depth that, you know, he's another able body. Oh, shoot, is he still here? Yeah, I totally forgot about him. Yeah, like, like he was actually much pretty, more than an, He's an able plus. Like, he is, uh, yeah, he's, more, he's more than able. He, and they have more than no, those guys than they've had in the past, which I think will help them. And if they can figure out you know, some of the linebacker spots, they've got a chance to be pretty damn good up there. Um, and so th- I think they feel like they're in a pretty good place overall defensively. It's just really sounds like, you know, receiver, quarterback, and offensive line. So, you know, nothing to it. Just a couple of minor tweaks in this team trace to go to the college football playoff. But there are some interesting prospects there. And then the last part before we get into some of the recruiting stuff is Neil, I thought, wrote a pretty interesting column about this in his Sunday 10 Thoughts of just the relevancy aspect of it. Look, I think the days of sold-out crowds, unless it's just a 40-year obsessive fan base like in Georgia or Alabama, the years of sold-out crowds at spring games, kind of probably behind them. But there's a decent crowd, but Ole Miss is relevant. Like, the spring game on TV was fun. And, like, Kiffin is is better at branding than I say than most coaches. And so they just feel like a team that is being talked about. And outside of a Georgia, Alabama, and I guess because of the talent, A&M, they're right up there. And – for a school like Ole Miss, this is where you want to be. And this is like the position you want to be in from a branding standpoint. You want to be relevant. I don't know if they're going to the Sugar Bowl again this year. I have no idea if they'll win eight games. I think I feel confident about somewhere in between there, given the way they retooled the roster. But the fact that they're going into the year with lofty expectations and irrelevant is a place that they're kind of like most programs would kill to be in outside of the Blue Bloods. And not long ago, Ole Miss would have absolutely killed to be there. And that was my other takeaway from this weekend. No, yeah, they did a great job with it. Um, they – it's all social media. They drafted the teams. They drafted everybody in the building to different teams. You know, nice wanders out there in a coat and tie. It's, <laughs> it's just like they, they weren't taking themselves too seriously because it's a spring game. All it is is about recruiting and showing off on TV and – running like cover two and four different offensive plays within three different teams. I mean, it's, it's nothing. It's not that big of a deal. The, the other practices are way more important than the spring game. Um, they're very, very relevant. They've actually kind of – I feel like they're now in this tier of, you know, not really the scrappy upstart and more like a, are they going to contend for the West or are they not? Whereas I think Tennessee this year is kind yeah. of getting the old mistreatment of last year like, they're a little exciting, of course, the quarterback deal, which we can talk about, I'm sure. And then you know, they, they did pretty well last year. Like, are they going to make that jump? That was the jump Old Miss made last year. So they're kind of in that same tier. And, of course, that Alabama, Georgia, A&M, those teams in LSU, of course, are always going to get a lot of the hype. But I think Old Miss has kind of solidified themselves this year as less of a hypey, hypey, more of a, like a this team is real. And they have real players. They have real continuity, and it's kind of more of a conversation of are they going to finish second in the West? You know, are they going to maybe beat Alabama? You know, it, it's kind of more like that. I don't think anybody's beating Alabama, by the way. But it's it's more of a realistic conversation, more of a they're, they're here now. Let's see how they can build upon it. Less of a are they going to get there? It's a, Yeah, you're exactly right. It's like that eight-team – that'd be like eight team, not one eight tier that you have every year to where it's like, hey, if we have one of these weird college football seasons and things bounce the right way, they'll be in it at the end. Can they kind of benefit from something like that? Which, 
you know, I mean, talk about places at the table with the way the recruiting has always been and NIL, whatever you want to make of that. That's where pretty much everyone outside the Blue Bloods wants to be, and that's where Ole Miss is. That doesn't necessarily mean the results are going to be there. No, no, no. To be relevant again is something that they haven't had a lot of. And, you know, if Kiffin – I don't know what his future is. I don't know how that's going to go. I feel like from a college standpoint, if they survive this past cycle with the jobs that opened up, at least for another year or two, it probably feels like they have a decent chance to keep them to where, like, Ole Miss is a program that's had a lot of highs and lows. And even if Kiffin only lasts, like, two more years, just say that, and then something else happens and he moves on, that'll be a longer term of, like, relevance and stability that Ole Miss hasn't has as a football program really ever, to be quite honest. And that's, that's I think, is something encouraging. And, and, shit, I'm excited for this football season. And I can't tell you in 2019 I was necessarily excited for the Ole Miss football season. I think that's uh, probably a decent encapsulation of where they're at. You, could, you can always tell how relevant a team is by their future six, seven-year-down-the-road scheduling. I, I think that is the best way to see how the outside views you and how your conference views you and everything. I remember in like 13 and 14 and 15, kind of that last spark of relevancy, Ole Miss is opening up against Florida State in 16 on a Monday night in Orlando. And they're scheduling, you know, Baylor in 2020 in Houston. Of course, I never played that game, but that was kind of the the games they were getting. And then when Kiffin came here and now you're seeing they're going to play USC in LA and they're going to play, I think, They've got another one after that that's pretty interesting. Virginia Tech after that, which is not that crazy and dynamic. But, you know, it's still a pretty cool game, a different game that Ole Miss usually wouldn't play. And I'm sure there's going to be another mixed in uh, Baylor or one of these one-off games. And that's where they're at right now. People want to play them. The TVs want to have them. And that's really the best way to stake your relevancy if you're not Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson these days at least. And the way to continue that is certainly recruiting. And one of the things I know you want to talk about was the quarterback part of this. So Ole Miss gets a – so they have Rashada on campus over the weekend, 2023 kid, five-star prospect. I think that's unofficially versus officially. I think all in total that's the third time that he's been on campus, which is you've, like, pointed out to me quite a few times. You get the kid on campus, that means he's interested. Yes. He's got a chance. And then they sign – his name is now blanking me. The NBA. Marcel Reed. Or they, yeah, they, Marcel yeah. Reed. Like, th- th- so now they. it's an interesting approach to high school recruiting. I'll just – what have the last couple of days told you? They get Rashad on campus. He's there for the spring game. Then they get a commitment from Reed. What does all this tell you about the future of the quarterback position and how they're going about it? It's really interesting because of the – variable or not variable variety of storylines with this Ole Miss recruiting quarterbacks this year. Um, I guess starting off, you have to sign one. That is it's, you have to sign one. If you can't, if you miss out on the top guys, you can't just be like, Oh, we'll just portal in a backup. No, you have to sign a high school quarterback every single year. Um, This year is obviously bizarre because of the Arch Manning situation. Uh, I mean, when I, my first year at Ole Miss, Arch was eighth grader. And I was sending Matt Luke to go to Newman when he was down in South Louisiana, New Orleans, like, well, we're going there and you're going to go there every single time you even touch Louisiana, because that's just how this recruitment is going to be for the next five years. And that recruitment has kind of just completely fizzled. It's just, it's just nothing now. 
I mean, it's not relevant. It's, it's not even part of the coaching staff's thought process. I mean, I'm sure it is, but the way that they've recruited Rashada and Reed and some of these other guys, um, it seems like they've pretty much conceded. And that's all we'll talk about, Arch. I, 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 we're not recruiting people, storyline people. That's just not why we do this podcast. Um, I don't know what to make of this whole Reed, Rashada. There's obviously the NIL factor um, from at least having small discussions with some people because just out of my genuine curiosity of what the hell was going on, sounds like Ole Miss was fine with the NIL stuff or had the ability to, to make it happen. And then they didn't. It was, and they just took the read, took Marcel Reed. Clearly there was conversations on Sunday between the three camps, Ole Miss, Rashada and Reed. And that's, I guess the way they went. Um, I don't know if you know this, Rashada actually visited LSU on Monday. And he's going, yeah, and he's going to Oregon, and he's going to A&M. My best guess is Ole Miss sat down with him, said, we know what your number is or what your thought process is. We're, we're willing to, to meet that. We'd love for you to come to Ole Miss. Rashad is like, that is awesome. Uh, I'll see you guys in two months after I go see what the other four schools have to say about it. And, I mean, it's, it's a bidding war, and that's okay. I mean, good for these kids. Showing some power, that's fine. It's not great for Ole Miss necessarily, clearly. Um, but that, that's my best guess. I, that is not from talking to anybody. That is my best guess at how this went. And, look, I, I've watched – I was really bored on a Monday, and I watched Reed and Rashada and Vizina and Arch and all these guys just because I miss it a little bit, and I was just curious. Um, it, it's, Reed is, Reed's a project. Rashada is a really, really talented high school prospect. So I don't know what happened here. Uh, and look, it's, it's always difficult to see what's going to happen. I mean, you see guys come out of nowhere all the time. And I think Reed has some traits that make him have a possibility of being a really good college quarterback. But if you're just looking at film and obviously the highlights is not enough. So I went and asked for some camp film from some friends to watch. And that's where you see the stark difference, really. Um, you have to get as many data points as you can, especially with quarterbacks. And I don't know what went into this decision, um, but there's clearly a lot that happened and it happened quickly and they've gone with this direction and that's fine. That's it is what it is. I think they just made a decision and I kind of honestly kudos to them for just making one. Um, but that doesn't take away from the conversation around it at all, at least from the outside. Would, in your opinion, would this be that big of a deal if it wasn't Arch Manning? Because no. I've always had the theory uh, – it's not even really a theory. It's just, I mean, you look at that 2016 class, and, like, the top two quarterbacks were Shea Patterson and Jacob Eason, if I remember correctly. And, like, this is such an What's inexact this? science, particularly with quarterbacks coming out of high school. Now, you look at, like, a 2020 class where it's, like, what, Ugiolele and then – C.J. Stroud, I think, maybe were the top two on top of oh, – I guess it would have had to have been Bryce Young as well. Bryce Young. Yeah, there was a lot. There's a lot. But, but like, 19 was oh, – what was it? – it was Rattler and Knicks. And, like, look at where they're at now. And so, like, throughout oh, the years, absolutely. these top two quarterbacks, like – or top three, it's, it's an inexact science. I just wonder – let's just say in a perfect world if they got Rashada. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know that, that what, what will end up shaking out there. But, like, if it were – 
other than anyone other than Arch Manning who's the number one in that class, would it be talked about at all? Or people would just be absolutely giddy that they got like someone like Rashada. That's what's interesting to me about the storyline. That, that's the cloud hanging over this entire recruiting process in 2023. And I, I know you brought up some of those other classes. Um, those classes don't compare to this one. Uh, those classes don't have the caliber of prospects that this one do. Uh, I mean, just the top 10, you know, from Arch to Malachi Nelson to Nico to Rashada to the kid that's going to Oklahoma, Arnold, Vizina, uh, the other kid from Louisiana, Holstein. I mean, these are just in terms of what you can evaluate off a of film from high school prospects. I mean, I was still at Ole Miss watching some of these guys, their sophomore and younger film. These are elite guys. Like 2020, I remember Rattler and Knicks. I mean, we couldn't even, like, figure out a quarterback to take because some of these guys just were not that impressive. Um, in 2021, you had a few more. In 2022, it was a little bit of mixed. This 23 class, there's like 10 or 11 guys that you would consider really elite, can start early and often and play and be real faces of programs. And, of course, Arch is headlining that and the storylines of Ole Miss and all of that kind of shrouds how you think about how they've done so far in this quarterback deal. They've gone after a lot of them. Of course, they change coordinators. So Levy leaves, Weiss comes in and is put in an impossible situation of having to handle some of these quarterback deals with the new NIL stuff, with all the new transfer stuff. It's difficult. But at the end of the day, you have to get the one that you want. And whether or not, I do not know. I think they like Reed, but I'm not, I, I cannot confidently sit here and say that that's the guy that they wanted. I couldn't say he was the second guy, and I'm not even sure I could say he was the third guy that they wanted. But he's the guy they have, and I think there's a legitimacy to asking what happened here. If How fluid are situations at this at this point? So in like the spring before these guys go through it and they commit, so like in the spring for the class of 2023, like would you be shocked if they ended up with Rashada? I don't know anything about it. I'm not asking like for any inside intel, but like, would it, is it still fluid enough to where you drop a kid for another guy? I know that ends up happening somewhat late in the game, but would you count out their chances with a guy like that? You know, context aside. I'm not going to say no. I mean, Luke was committed to Florida State, and then we ended up getting him back in the boat, but that's such a different deal with him being an in-state guy with a new coach and stuff like that. So there is more different context around the situation I, I, my best guess is that the Rashada deal is over okay that, that is that is my guess I'm going to need to preface that I've talked to nobody sure. in the building or really outside about a lot of it I've talked to a few people outside that's not true um, my best guess is that it's over and whether that's because they want it to be over or because they just knew it had to be I do not know it's fascinating because it's so like if you were working in a building right now when it's between those two, like at this point, are you – what is – like if you were just best guess, where is Arch on the peripheral of this or does that not even exist anymore? I'm just asking because I don't know at all. Like I, I, don't, I don't know either. Uh, as you know, like I, I have some connections to the Arch sure. deal very, very lightly, but I do. So I hate talking about it. Not your fault. I, I, my guess is that's over with. And my guess is that's been over with um, just the way they've handled the quarterback recruiting the last four or five months, which is just bizarre, you know, from the start of this whole deal that it's ended this way in such a not, I mean, it wasn't even a story. Never became I a storyline. Yeah, that's exactly. I never, 
I never saw – so when Ole Miss took Reed on Monday, not on a message board, not on Twitter, nobody was like, uh, Ole Miss just took a quarterback and it wasn't the Manning kid. What's happening here? I, why that's the case? It's probably a good thing because they need less people talking about recruiting on Twitter. But it was just fascinating that it just never – it just has not come up in months at all. And maybe – Maybe I guess once he makes his decision, it'll be a different kind of deal. But that it's it's just over, in my opinion. It's not happening. How do you go about the two quarterback class thing? How common is that? I would say in this era, zero percent chance. No way. They're not signing Rashad and Reed. That's that's not going to happen. Yeah, honestly, I just meant that question in general because I, I noticed it particularly in the last, like, four years, you have seen less and less of that. And that's probably with kids having more options and the portal and all that has to factor into that, right? It's pretty much just one a class and you just roll with the guys. There's less spots, too. It I mean, true. people transferring and, like, the way the numbers work out, there's just less spots available because people are saving those spots for potential transfers. So there's no – it's like it's it's both way, two-way street or whatever, my – inability to give out cliches uh there's less spots because they're signing less high school kids for transfers and then these kids don't want to go to the same place as each other because they want to all you know play and start early which is fine understandable uh i I just do not see there being a a situation where they get Reed and rashada i would say zero percent chance do you think all of this i don't want to say less of a big deal but the fact that the portal is available like i'll put it to you this way darts a, a a you know, pretty highly touted kid, and he's now on Ole Miss's campus before he's 19 years old. Like, do you think the fact that they have more flexibility – I don't want to say it's less a big deal about who they sign as their quarterback in the class, but do you think there's – I don't know, Lane Kiffin loses less sleep over Reed Rashada just because, you know, there's an option down the road, or is that not how the thinking goes at all? It's not how it should go. Okay. Um, you should never just concede high school kids for the uncontrollable – variable of the of the portal these days I mean yeah Rattler ended up at South Carolina but you couldn't have predicted that he was going to lose his job and then Lincoln Riley was going to leave Oklahoma in the middle of nowhere to go to USC you just can't you can't assume that and then you know there's some of these guys where they're so young they don't even really play they're highly touted prospects so you have no college film on them so yeah they were really elite uh, high school guys but now they've been in a year in a college system they didn't start, didn't play. So you have no idea what their development has been and where they're at. So I would not take that risk and just, you know, concede. And I'm, I'm not saying that they conceded on this. I think they really – No, lost. no, this was just me asking generally. This is nothing to do with Ole Miss. A hundred percent. I'm trying to make sure I don't say that because that's not what I think or how they probably feel about it. But in just in general, no, I would not just – assume assuming the portal you know what happens when you assume make an ass out of you and me you can't assume what this portal situation is going to be it's an ever-changing deal they've used it incredibly well quarterback is the only position where i would not leave it up to chance of hey elite guys in the portal let's go get them well there's going to be a lot of other schools that are may have more money and i owe money than you that could also be in the exact same boat so you don't want to just assume that and this isn't even a devil's advocate, but the fascinating part of this is right before we started recording, I went through the last two, four, seven rankings of the quarterback class. 
I think you could count on a one hand how many dudes are still at their first school, which is so wild to me. And I, I agree with you. I don't think you can leave it to chance. I was mostly just curious, but like, I'm fascinated to see the, how the portal affects the movement of all these kids and how the way like quarterbacks are recruited. Like it's probably still I'm, the same. I'm looking at it right now. You're talking about the 22 class or the 21? So go 21 back and like how many kids are at their first school still? Yeah, so like just for instance, I mean, this 22 class, I mean, Club Nick, Weigman, Ty Simpson at Bama, Walker Howard. I mean, these are – there's 10 – nine or 10 guys that we would have considered like offer take guys whereas some of these classes that's just not the case it's the same with 23 i mean 21 let's look at it well yours we know what that one that's also just insane that he's now at texas after that whole deal yeah. um if, if nico i'm a, i'm a whatever his name is is worth eight million off of his high school stuff quinn yours is worth 12 <laughs> i mean that's just insane but yeah i mean caleb williams is not there Sam Heward's not there. Vandegrift, I still think, is there. JJ is. Kyle McCord at Ohio State's in a weird situation. Ty Thompson's in the portal. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of these guys that aren't still there. But some are. I mean, Nussmeyer's still there. Milrow. That's cr- – I mean, of course, Alabama signed those two guys back-to-back. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just hard to, to guess and assume. And, like, some of these younger guys that have left because they didn't start as a freshman, like I said earlier, you, you haven't seen them in a year with no film at all. And obviously these coaches are not just going to give away spring film to you just because they're leaving your program. So you're not going to be able to see them. You're just going off a of word of mouth from some of these other staffs. Last question on this before we hit uh, the, what everyone came for, the fastest growing segment on American soil. But I probably should have asked this coming from the start, but honestly from the <laughs> out of town this weekend, still playing a little bit of catch up, I probably should have asked this. Do you think, the read signing, and this may be why I texted me, like the, the read, so, the, I say read signing, read commitment had anything to do with how the weekend went with Rashada. Like how much correlation just as a former recruiting guy would you put on that? I, I, I've never been in that situation. Having two quarterbacks, you're recruiting heavily on campus at the same time. Never had to deal with the NIL negotiations. It, it's impossible for me to say that one weekend went poorly and one went better. Um, I think my guess and consensus is that they just kind of punted on the Rashada deal. They weren't willing to wait two months for him to make his visits for these other schools to probably up their offers on whatever NIL deal. I think they were just like, we, we just can't do this. We have to sign a guy. If it's not going to be Rashada, it wasn't Vizina, it wasn't Arnold, and it's probably not going to be Arch. We like Reed. We like where we stand with Reed. Let's take him develop them and move forward because we have to sign one. That's that's my best guess. Last question, and this is actually a good one. Would you be an alcoholic if you started in the recruiting game three years in the NIL thing? <laughs> I, I wouldn't be in it. it. It would you wouldn't even last three years. It would be it would be just like you're seeing with a lot of these guys. I, I would have retired early. <laughs> it just it, it the recruiting in college is so weird and the, the staffs are so much bigger yet their responsibilities were so much smaller. <laughs> yeah. uh, if I was still in this deal, I mean, I mean, I think Austin Thomas is an old Miss now. I haven't even heard of that guy. Like, what is he even doing? I, I have no idea what, what he's doing there now because all this NIL stuff, you know, they're not handling, handling it with the recruiting coordinators or the recruiting staff. You know, the recruiting staff is just evaluating, you know, every player in the country for every team just in case they go into the portal, which is smart, by the way. 
but uh, yeah, no, I would not have lasted very long. Um, a lot of a lot of drinks, which I had plenty in the office, but <laughs> it would have been a lot. It would have been a lot more. <laughs> it is now time for the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. It's been at least a month since we did one of these. Yeah. Uh, whenever the last time you were on the pod, I almost tweeted you today. Uh, <laughs> my Brentford bees played someone I've never heard of. There's, is it the FA cup? Do I have this right? Is that going on right now? Is this the all England deal where it's not all premier league teams? What's happening? Why was the, why were the bees playing someone I've never heard of? Who the hell did Brentford play today? So they were, they I think this was today. I could completely have this wrong. No, they, they didn't play anybody today. I'm pretty locked in on the Brentford Bead message boards. But I, <laughs> Maybe I they're have, like under 23s played somebody today, but not – We have the chance I was wrong. Um, oh, is this Bees number two? We have two teams? Of course we do. Probably have like an under 22, under 23 squad as well. You got to oh, get yeah. the recruiting. You got to follow soccer, European recruiting. It's way more exciting. There's actually real money thrown around. That actually sounds kind of awesome. Um, let's see. Here we go. Hinden FC? Hinden Football Club? No idea. That had to have been some that sort of smaller match. That, that's not even a cup match because the cups are almost done. So, I don't know. I what completely that disregard that. I'm looking at a background photo of the stadium. That's not a Premier League stadium. That looks like Jackson's prep. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll just completely disregard that. We'll go back to the standings. Has there been a tournament? Is there a break? Why, why are the Bees tweeting about their number two team? I don't understand. No idea. Um, Brentford, uh, they're safe. They're they're going to stay up. Congratulations, which is which is huge for Feels them. Feels great. Stay up, stay up two for two years at extra money. You get real players. You can sign some real guys. They're up. They're they're good to go. Um, they the cups are pretty much done. The Champions League was today, which I know you weren't following it, but Man City played Real Madrid four three. It was a freaking awesome soccer game unless you had man city minus one which i did so they pushed um it was awesome i mean it was just like the it's just much watched tv these two kinds of teams i mean it's like you know just two giants right now playing it was awesome um the next game is tomorrow liverpool and Villarreal. back to the premier league it's a two-team race which it kind of has been even last time we talked right Uh, it's as tight as it's been right we're talking one point between the two yeah, one point between City and Liverpool. They have played each other twice in the last few weeks. Once in the uh, FA Cup semifinal, which Liverpool just kind of took it to them pretty easily. Um, and then a week before that, they played their premier, their last meeting in the Premier League. It was uh, just a classic. It was 2-2 draw, four goals in like the first 20 minutes. It was just a must-watch. If you're a sports fan, I say it all the time, Obviously, I'm a huge soccer fan, but some of these games, I mean, the City-Liverpool game on a Sunday at 10, they're one point separating each other. It's just – it's a must-watch if you're a sports fan. The game today, City-Real Madrid, I mean, just the two biggest clubs, best clubs in the world, uh, just must-watch, and they've all been amazing. Um, The shit teams, like United, um, they're out of it. They are not finishing top four. It is not going to happen. They are not going to be playing European football next year. Um, they have they have officially hired their new coach. Um, so the interim's still there, but they hired Eric Ten Hag from Ajax, which is the biggest team in the Netherlands. Awesome team. They, he's an awesome coach. I'm sure they will screw him over which way um, because that is just a dysfunctional group. But they're done. They, they will not be playing in any fun leagues next year. 
how big of like a rage disgrace is it that they will not be playing European soccer next year? Like how, how bad is that for a club like United? It, it's, it's just literally unacceptable. I mean, it's, it's like if Alabama misses the college football playoff, which they like literally have not done except for once. Um, this will probably be the lowest point total United's had maybe in their history in the Premier League. Like point total, like the wins, like, you know, win, draw, all that. It'll be their lowest. They're not going to get to 70 points. They're going to be at like 60, which will be the lowest. I mean, this is the biggest club in England. They are going to finish the lowest they've ever done. Oh, so this is an utter disaster. Like, I, I figured, like, there's a disappointment. You're talking just, like, pitchforks rounded. This is completely unacceptable. For this club, yes. I mean, it doesn't look like it because they're in sixth right now, and they're, they're only four points behind Tottenham. But they're, they're not catching either them or Arsenal. I mean, they got their butts kicked by Arsenal on, oh, goodness. Uh, by Arsenal on Saturday. Um, Arsenal still has to play Tottenham. And it, it's not going to happen. It, just, it doesn't look as bad as it really is for a club that big. So I got to say, one of the biggest calls you had of all time is Saudi Castle United. You mentioned once the transfer window opened up, they were going to start spending monies because they were bought by the Saudis. Don't look now. They have gone from, are they going to get relegated? These suckers are in ninth mm-hmm. place in I won't say clipping at the heels of eight because the old Wolverhampton Wanderers are still six points ahead. But you talk about a freight train from hell just coming up the ass of the competition. Holy cow, we're talking top ten for Saudi Castle. Are they – so is that – as you wind down the Premier League season, is that something – I can't even think of like the American equivalent. I bet if I had more time I could. But like do the upper tier teams are like, damn it, we got to play these guys as they're trying to stay in the race. Is that like, like how does, how good are they in terms of like where they're playing right now? Oh yeah. They're playing spoiler right now. I mean, they, they had the new coach, they signed, you know, four or five, like really, really good players. Um, not any like elite players, their midfielder, the Brazilian midfielder they signed from France is he's like a elite player. Um, the other ones were just, you know, squad guys to get together, but they're, I mean, they're, really really tough right now I mean they have to play Liverpool at home on Saturday Liverpool has got to be like fuck like we yeah, that's a perfect- in this race yeah <laughs> we are in this race like this is not the team we want to see right now we will have to go on the road all the way to North England to play these guys who are on I mean they've they've won their last four games conceded one goal and they're on oh. one right now yeah and they've beaten like real teams Wolves Leicester, Crystal Palace, and Norwich sucks, but you know, they've handled four teams in a row. And now, I mean, they have to play. <laughs> their finish is Liverpool at Man City versus Arsenal and Burnley. So they, they've got some bumps in the road coming up, but they, they did exactly what they said they were going to do. The Saudis came in, they bought a hell of a team for in the middle of the season, and then they're going to keep buying it towards the summer. And next year, I mean, they're going to be a, they're going to be a problem next year. Yeah, I was about to ask that. So, the, so look, we're at toward the end of the year. There's seven, eight matches left. That's a honestly the most perfect spoiler schedule of all time. I was actually pulling it up as you said that just to see yeah. how many matches are left. Like they they could really factor, they will factor into how this is decided, which is fascinating. What I was going to ask was, so in terms of next year, clearly they've jumped a ridiculous amount of spots. They've signed a bunch of good guys. I imagine most of them will stay on the roster for next year are they considered like a contender in the league or when the season ends, does a club like Man U, Man City, 
uh, Liverpool, do they re-up with better players and then they fall down a peg because of it? How does that kind of work heading into next year? Oh, everyone re-ups. Okay. It, it's the craziest thing. It re- it's like NFL free agency. Th- those rosters are so – it's so different because you've got – in soccer, you've got guys on loan where they're at different teams and, you, you know, you're monitoring their status and how they're playing. And then kind of during the summer, they all bring everybody back to whatever club owns you and you're training, and you're going on the preseason tours. Like, I saw Man City's coming to Houston in July, and they'll have some of their younger guys who are playing with some of the older guys as well. Um, and that's kind of – it's they come back together, and then they completely reevaluate. Either some of those guys go back on loan, you straight up sell some guys. After you sell some, you buy some. And teams that are good at that business practice have really good – you know, ability to build better rosters. Some teams are terrible at it, like Manchester United, where they overpay for a bunch of, like, big-name guys, but they don't develop and get some of their young guys in and ready to play. Um, So, yeah, Newcastle, could they compete for maybe fifth in Europa League next year, depending on who they sign? Sure. Are they going to be a top-four contender? I would say almost certainly not. So remind me of what top four versus – doesn't top six get you something too? So what is Champions League? So the top four finishers in Spain, in France, in England, and in Germany qualify for the Champions League, which is going on right now. It's in the semifinals. So that's the kind of the all-encompassing European best league in the world where right. they get to play group stage. It's like a World Cup that's played every year between the best teams in Europe, I guess is the best way to – kind of picture it they all get in groups and whatnot and there's qualifying for it but you qualify through the season that you have in your regular league okay and that's basically right now that's Tottenham and Arsenal fighting for that what would that be a bigger deal for I know Tottenham's been kind of a better club Arsenal seems like up and down like who would that be a bigger deal for to stick in that four spot this year um, Arsenal, it'd be okay. bigger for them. Tottenham, I mean, they were in a Champions League final three years ago, and of course they lost because that's just kind of what they do. But they they've had a big one. Someone compared that to Ole Miss football to me one time. Yeah, I think Mayo is a, a Tottenham fan. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And uh, goodness, um, gosh. Uh, so, so yeah, it would be bigger for Arsenal. They, I don't, they haven't been in European football in like two or three years, so th- this would be a big comeback for them. What's top six? Uh, f- fifth place gets European League. That's kind of like the Champions League in the T um, is the best way to put that one. And then I don't think six, I don't think it's anything. You know, so it's just top five. Okay. It's That's top five. Thing. I think there's like a new league or something, like a conference league, or I don't really know a whole lot about it. It's like a very new thing, but irrelevant for anyone else. As we head towards the bottom, towards these scrubs that aren't Brentford, you know, at this point, like, if you're, like, Norwich City, what are you doing? Are you just playing out the string and, like, congrats, we're going to go back to Tier 2? Like, they're certainly at the bottom. If you're at the bottom of it, are you just – what are you doing at this point? Uh, It's tough because your your structure, your money structure completely changes once you go down. So they're probably figuring out, all right, who the hell are we selling all these players to? Because we're sure as hell not going to be able to afford them next year. Um, it, it's a it's a gut punch. And they're a classic, you call them a yo-yo club, because they they were promoted this past year, and they're, they're headed right back down next year. Um, I think the biggest story this year, obviously the title race is, is awesome, but Everton is currently in the relegation zone. 
I was about to ask you that because that's the only other club down here that I, I could say I've ever heard of. So they're the third one. The bottom three get relegated. They're two points behind Burnley and five behind Leeds, who's in 16. I yeah. was going to ask the most like rele- relevant club just from my dumb brain is the fact that Everton is in the relegation zone. Yeah, I, I, my history, obviously, I've, I've followed the sport for a while. My history in the last time they were not, they were relegated is low. I could not tell you what it was, but I can tell you that that's, I mean, they're building a brand new stadium, uh, a very big one. They are one of the bigger clubs in England. They have a incredible history. It would be a, just a complete gut punch for them to be relegated. Uh, it's, it would be a, one of the bigger clubs to be relegated in, in recent memory that I've followed the Premier League closely. Uh, it's pretty bad. And it's not – I mean, they're, may, they can maybe catch Burnley, but they've, Burnley's actually played pretty well. Leeds, Jesse Marsh, the new American coach, they're unbeaten in the last four. They're not catching them. So their best hope is to possibly catch Burnley. And I just don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going down. And that would be pretty sad. The rest of these I've pretty much heard of, but there seems to be one in the middle. Maybe I'm just ignorant to it, but like Southampton sitting at 13, is that a big deal that they're staying up? I don't can't say I've ever heard of that club. <clears throat> they are um, they're like a feeder team. They they are consistently between 10th and 15 in the Premier League. They have one of the best. Uh, they're like one of the best recruiters. They always have players at the bigger club sign. I mean, some of these guys like Sadio Mane, who plays for Liverpool, is a Southampton guy. I mean, they've had guys all over the place. Um, so they they do a pretty good job of funneling the young kids through the program and then selling it, selling high, uh, buy low, sell high on a lot of these guys. And they, they are kind of always in it. Never really uh, competing for European football necessarily, but not really in the you know depths of relegation either. I can't wait to see how it plays out over the next month. The last thing we have to get to is we are in the World Cup. That is correct, and we know our groupings. Not only did they not screw it up, it sounded like they maybe kind of slammed the door shut a bit. They did it. They came out pretty strong. Um, I know the classic soccer thing, right? They go down to Costa Rica, and they can't lose by, like, five or something. They lose by two or whatever it was, yeah. and people are just jacked. But it sounded like that was kind of like defense mode of just like, hey, let's not have a disaster here. World Cup, that's all that matters. They didn't miss another World Cup. Kind of give me the lowdown on how that's gone down. Yeah, I mean, they, they did it pretty pretty easily. Uh, after their, their game against Panama, they won like 4-5-1. or five, one. Um, They had to go to Costa Rica and not lose by six. So it, it was a done deal. Um, they had the weird Qatari uh, propaganda World Cup draw. How rigged <laughs> that was, was that? Um, you know what? There's really no group of death, and the Qatari team is in a pretty tough group. So I, it doesn't seem that rigged. Um, honestly, it was one of the, the more interesting draws. The U.S., from an outsider's perspective, got a great draw. It's England, which would be just an absolute blast on Black Friday after Thanksgiving. Um, Iran and the last team is escaping me. Oh, either Poland. No, no, I'm sorry. Either Ukraine, Scotland, or Wales. From an outsider's perspective, that's like hell yeah. Like we're we're in good shape. We can finish second, or you know, if you beat um, England somehow, you can finish first. But in terms of the actual world rankings, they are in the toughest group, which is kind of bizarre because you look at some other groups where you've got like Belgium and Croatia, and 
the other one with Brazil and Switzerland and Ghana. But uh, Iran is like – this is like the best team they've ever had. They won – they finished top in the Asian qualifying. And then Wales, if they – if it ends up being Wales coming out of the, the qualifiers they still have to do in Europe, I would say they have some issues with the Ukraine-Russia deal. Um, that team going on there. Yeah, a few things going on there that aren't as important as soccer. Uh, that team is – loaded with like two or three not really loaded but they have two or three guys that you have to account for gareth bale one of my favorite players i mean he just scores a goal every time they play so it will not be easy for them but in terms of what it could have been uh it's a decent draw for the friday after thanksgiving we they so they announced this since the last time we did a podcast that yeah. that has the chance to be like all-time american soccer stuff right if they can pull that off and just in terms of hype that will be up there i mean Look, I know we all love college football here, but the Friday is kind of the day in between. You usually got one marquee game. That's it. That has potential to be all-time soccer, like day, right? Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be as big as it gets, especially for the U.S. I mean, nobody is gonna be at work. It's it's gonna be during the day, so it's not like it's a night game, which is a little disappointing. But I think they plan on it being at like one o'clock. So I mean, that might actually be better, honestly. Yeah, exactly. The holiday that it's on. It, no, it, it fits perfectly. And, I mean, unless you're just dying to watch Missouri play Arkansas, I mean, everyone is going to be to watching that game. It's going to be pretty exciting. I cannot wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to, my friend. I know you're looking forward to the Pels game as well. We will get out of here right on time, only like 20 minutes after. I promise you that's pretty good for me. I appreciate the time, my friend. We will uh, we'll check in throughout the summer as we dive into fall camp. And, I mean, hell, man, this is going to be here before we know it. We're already almost through April. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Can't wait. See you next time. All right. That was Weldon Rodenberg. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Let's get to your mailbag questions. We first people's holiday in a couple of weeks. These Thursday, Saturday baseball series have uh, made the people's holiday a little bit harder to come by, but don't worry. I got all your questions in from the last two weeks. Got some uh, DMs as well, a couple emails. So we'll get them all there. Let's see. Who's the leadoff hitter today? Where are we going? Um, Kyle Wilson, who's the next, next head coach off the Saban tree to beat him for the first time? Also, if Saban wins this year, wins it all this year, does he walk away? A uh, couple good questions here. Um, the next one to beat him. So you're implying that Jimbo and Kirby are, uh, off the list, like, cause they've already knocked it off. I think the obvious answer has to be Lane Giffen, right? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, you know, you got the cross-divisional thing with Florida. Like, Napier, I think, was a former Saban assistant. Yeah, definitely former Saban assistant. Um, I don't see that happening. I think the obvious answer is Lane Kiffin. I don't know if it'll happen. You know, I don't I don't necessarily think that is a homer thing to say by any stretch. I think it's probably Lane Kiffin. Um, you know, with the way he's building programs and Ole Miss is recruiting and the talent they have on the roster this year, I don't think they're going to beat Alabama. I don't think – Alabama's got a lot returning next year, and I'm not sure anyone's beating Alabama – but, like, it, would it absolutely blow my mind if Ole Miss pulled that off in Oxford this coming year? No, not really. But, you know, and if you give Lane Kiffin two, three more years at Ole Miss, I think he's the most likely uh, assistant to beat him. Assuming that Kirby and Jimbo are disqualified because they've already beaten him. If you're saying who's just the next one to do it again, then I'd probably lean toward Jimbo uh, just with the way A&M's got it re- rolling over there with NIL and recruiting and the just overall talent level with that roster. But I think Lane Kiffin, even if those two guys were in the mix, I don't think Lane Kiffin is far off. 
Um, now, I'm not necessarily predicting they're going to beat Alabama anytime in the next year or two or anything like that. I just don't know who else the, uh, the obvious answer would be unless I'm missing someone. So I'm going to go Lane Kiffin for you there. Brian Patrick Murphy. Wow, I thought I had a tough double name. Uh, solidarity with you, pal. Um, no, I don't mean the bad name. Sorry, I didn't mean that in a derogatory way. Just a double name that you wouldn't necessarily think makes sense. Dealt with that one for a while. I feel you. Scale of 1 to 10 of feelings for Ole Miss baseball fans. Anger, sadness, apathy. Oh, rank them. Anger, sadness, apathy. So you want me to go 1 through 10 on all three on behalf of the fans? Well, I don't want to, like, speak for other people. I would guess I'd go – if you're talking about right now, I don't know. I'd put the anger and sadness part, at least from – this is my interactions from, you know, message board and readers and social media and all that. I can only gauge the temperature off that. I think you put the apathy at, like, a 9 – anger at like a seven and sadness at like a one I don't think anyone's real sad about it because the thing about this year is it's disappointing for fans but with the way the season was set up you know if this thing didn't go well you knew from the get-go that change was likely on the horizon I've seen a lot of well is Keith Carter gonna actually do it I don't have any insight on this but I would just with the way Reading the tea leaves and with the way this was set up, I would be absolutely stunned if a move wasn't made short of a run to Omaha. And guess what? I don't think they're getting to Omaha. And so I say that to say, I don't think anyone's just like sadly disappointed by this season because, you know, if it was a disappointment, I would say most of the fan base was probably ready for a change until you're going to get that. I don't know if it's fair to call a change a consolation prize by any means. But I think the sadness part has left it. It's probably angering slash frustrating for a lot of fans to watch this baseball team. Help! I don't really have a dog in the fight. It's more interesting to me when Ole Miss is good, obviously for content purposes. But like, I don't really, I don't, I haven't gotten invested in an Ole Miss sport event in a very long time. Um, particularly not Ole Miss baseball. I covered it for like seven years. Point being, I don't have a dog in the fight, and it, they frustrate me to watch. Um, and so I imagine the anger frustration part there is still pretty. Uh, pretty high end on the scale. Would I give it like a six or a five? I'd give the apathy – or six or seven, uh, I'd give the apathy a nine, and sadness is like a two. So I'll go with that. Jay Reezy checking in here. Jay Reezy 23. I've given up on trying to understand these internet names. If there is a WWE-style Royal Rumble containing you, Chase, Neil, Jeffrey, Chuck, Ben – the ghost of Yancey, David Johnson, and Colin, who wins and why? I don't know how WWE works, but if this is just like a fight club battle royale thing, I'm going to eliminate myself first. As much as I want to be high on my abilities, I'm looking at myself in the mirror. Measurables just don't add up. I'm taking myself out. I think I'm taking Chase out second. I don't think he would do a whole lot. Chase isn't much – Chase is stockier than me, not a ton taller – and Chase is uh, Chase didn't strike me as overly aggressive. Maybe that's the one you fear the most then, but uh, I, I don't love Chase's chances on that. I also don't think he'd care enough. I think he'd stop probably in the middle of the ring halfway through and go, hey, what are we doing and why are we here? Um, like, well, let's, let's move on with our day. I don't know enough about Jeffrey to, to, to know. I, I don't – Jeffrey seems like a pretty smart fellow. I feel like he could maneuver his way around a ring pretty good. Um, and, you know – I imagine he has pretty decent instincts when it comes to, you know, being in a, in a, in the octagon or whatever the hell the WWE calls it, I guess it's just a ring. Um, so I don't know what to do with that. So he's probably not my winner. Chuck, with all due respect, probably a little bit outside of his age division. Ben, I'm going to go, I'm going to take it down. David Johnson, I'm going to go kind of the same way. Although, you know, 
wouldn't stun me, but I'm going to take him out. Uh, Yancey's just a non-starter. Would Yancey pass the oh, – I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm going to take Yancey out as well just because I don't know about it. I I'm going to narrow it down to Ben versus Neil. Only one leaves alive. I think i got to go Neil. Although, I don't know. Ben is a feisty one. I just think – I just think Neil would play the mind games, and I think Neil probably wouldn't stop until the job was done to where I think Ben might let up. So I'm going to go Neil over Ben in the battle royale with everyone else fading weekly. That might be one of the oddest questions I've answered on this show, but I do appreciate it. Brody Clayton, checking in here. If you're the AD, who is the first coach you go to once Bianco is gone? Well, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday. I think there's two obvious uh, candidates to start this baseball coaching search really it seems like the conversation just from what i read on like message boards and stuff and i know that's not the greatest temperature of like the fan base conversation but it really seems like it's come down to mcdonald or bust i don't necessarily think that's the case because butch thompson at auburn is one is a really good baseball coach and two butch thompson makes five hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year dan mcdonald makes a million butch thompson has no scholarship advantages dan mcdonald does the only thing with McDonald and McDonald, like the only thing that would I would put in the check mark toward McDonald camp in terms of him more likely to come than Butch Thompson. If you're just comparing the two in a vacuum, I don't actually know who would and who wouldn't come. I'm not suggesting that the AD that hired McDonald is no longer there. And kind of from reading in on the situation a little bit, um, I don't necessarily think it is uh, it is. Uh, the same dynamic in terms of uh, how that current AD will forget his name used baseball than the one that hired McDonald. So that's a plus from there. But like Butch Thompson, Amory, Mississippi native, makes 570K, no scholarship advantages, no real scholarship advantages, and has taken Auburn to Omaha. Not a bad second option and is probably a little bit more enticed by the pay versus a guy who's already making a million at Louisville with scholarship advantages. So uh, those are the two. I'm not saying – like, I'd probably – like, if I'm Keith, I would say Dan's probably the first call, then Butch, and then you could go a number of different directions after that. I think it's two guys, and then it drops off. This is just the way I view it in my head. I don't have any intel on this situation, as I keep repeating, but just to be clear, um, then you could go Cliff Godwin. Um, I don't think the fellow at Dallas Baptist is probably coming – you go a number of different directions after that. But I think the first guy is probably McDonald, and then I would probably go Butch Thompson 1B, um, and then it probably takes a drop with a couple other guys. Common sense variant checking in here. Where is the oversized Anthony Boone jersey? I think I got this question before from – I don't understand. Anthony Boone, basketball player uh, in the 90s, I think I actually learned that when you asked this question the first time. I, I don't know. I, did I promise a jersey? If I did, sorry. I break promises all the time. Um, <laughs> just ask my girlfriend. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Here we go. Keeping it moving. Uncle Rico, whose handle is DonnyDog69. Man, the internet is a weird place. Checking in here. Would you be on board with recommending that Bianco remain the head coach if Bianco was contractually required to hire a pitching coach to manage the bullpen and call pitches during games no I would not because one Mike would never agree to that and two that ship has sailed like hiring a pitching coach 22 years in after you know it feels like a program's plateaued a bit I don't think that's going to make any difference I look if you've listened to this podcast for a while Colin and I have discussed at length the 
you know, the, the blame that lies with the lack of pitching development and perhaps some in-game strategy as well and the lack of diversity in pitchers in the sense that they all like them to throw a pretty hard slider with the fastball, don't love throwing change-ups to right-handed hitters. They all just kind of look the same coming out of the bullpen. And the starters look pretty much the same as well. So there's valid – I can't talk today. Good Lord. Valid criticism regarding Mike Bianco – and the way he handles his pitching staff, whether that's in-game, whether it's development, whether it's recruiting, whatever. I just don't think a pitching coach is going to solve that to a level that makes a difference at year 22. And this is never, this is not a, something that's all remotely on the table. Like whatever happens between Keith Carter and Mike Bianco at the end of the year, I would be absolutely stunned if Keith goes, yeah, you know, we're going on 23 year 23 one Omaha appearance this year was wildly disappointing but hey if you get a pitching coach in the dugout you got more time I don't think that's happening this year maybe you just meant it as a hypothetical I don't mean to sound condescending but no I personally don't wouldn't be on board for it I don't think many would and at this point I think that ship has sailed it's kind of like the Kermit Davis thing and it's not the perfect example because Kermit Davis ended up losing two coaches to other jobs but you know, I got a couple of mailbag questions in the past where it's like, is he going to shake up the staff? And this was back in like January when the team was struggling. It's like, it's, it's past that pal. Like he's got like the, the, that, that ship is sailed. The whole change up assistance thing in a year where even if Ronnie Hamilton and uh, Ronnie Hamilton and Levi Watkins had not left for other jobs, like the idea that they were going to be, you know, relieved or whoever it was, two of the three assistants, the three assistants, changing up the assistants going into a year where it's NCAA tournament or bus is just kind of silly. It actually worked to your detriment. And so I'm not saying Bianco hiring a pitching coach worked to his detriment. I'm just telling you that ship has probably sailed long, long ago. Not to mention Mike's never, <laughs> Mike was never going to agree to that. All right, let's see. What do we got here? Um, Let's see. We got one from last week, Cole Woods. I was going to ask if Mike, if Ole Miss makes the tournament and gets an easy regional and plays the four seed in a super regional, and that's banking on a lot to have a four seed go to a super and makes it to Omaha, would Mike Bianco keep his job? Short answer, yes. If he gets to Omaha, he's not getting canned. That just wouldn't make any sense. But the, you know, I think, I mean, obviously I think you know this. I'm preaching to the choir here, but th this team – as currently constructed, barring something miraculous, not going to Omaha, probably not sniffing the postseason unless they do something dramatic here again uh, against uh, the Razorbacks this weekend and in the final 12 games of the season. So, yeah, I uh, I think that ship has sailed. Um, Let's see. Oh, I mixed up the mailbag questions. I mixed up Uncle Rico, Donnie Dog, Donnie Dong, 69. Good Lord, I got to stop reading these out loud. That was Cal Crawford's question. That was my fault. Uncle Rico, I'm not going to read the guy's handle again, checking in here. If A.J. Brown would have played baseball, would he have been all SEC? That's a tough one, man. I don't know. I didn't know when, I never knew enough about A.J. Brown's, um, Brown's baseball prowess at all. So, like, I obviously, you know, the Padres gave him some money. He was a good baseball player. I do know that. But it's so hard to predict stuff like that. And if you're asking me if he was a two-sporter, doing the two sport thing well enough to be like a great. And if you make all sec in the Southeastern conference, you are a really good to great player is so hard to do. Um, like, I mean, look, it's not impossible to be a good player. Like even a guy like John Rice Pumley got more out of his baseball career than I thought he would. I don't miss and credit to the kid for that, but 
he was still nowhere close. I mean, that's a, there's a lot of real estate between a platoon guy on a super regional team, which is an impressive accomplishment in its own right, than an all-SEC hitter. So I'm going to go no. If he played baseball by himself, by itself and not played football, I, I can't answer that. I would lean no just because it's really, really hard to be all-SEC even if you only play baseball. Um, and I don't know enough about A.J. Brown, the baseball player, to be honest. Uh, Uncle Rico had one last week that I missed. My bad. Oh, well, no, we didn't have Mailbag Friday last week. Uh, but we'll go ahead and hit them both. Here we go. Do you – mailbag question, how do you like the back-to-back par fives on the Ole Miss course on both sides? I think it's a unique setup. I actually like it. You know, Ole Miss course, I think it's kept up decently well. And in terms of layout, I think it's a really fun college golf course, like a student's golf course. You could pretty much hit the ball anywhere you want. It's wide open. It's not long. Some of the holes are challenging enough. There's some fun holes. I can't really name a hole – on there that's like stupid you know a lot of these courses particularly in like smaller towns and you know college university and college courses as well where they're maybe trying to squeeze 18 18th hole in in a limited uh amount of uh property or uh real uh real estate or acreage or whatever or just kind of the layout like makes for some dumb holes i can't really think of just an abjectly stupid hole at the university course and so I think it's a great – I think it's a good college golf course. There's some hills that provide some challenges. It's bunkered enough. The greens can provide a little bit of a challenge. I think it's a really fun course. I like the back-to-back par fives, particularly on the front, because as a guy who doesn't hit hardly any par fives in two, you catch a decent drive on what is that? I guess that'd be six. Uh, you can hit pretty much an iron in it, too. So that's a nice ego boost. I like the back-to-back par fives on both sides. I like the university course. If you're playing good golf and you want to go really feel really good about your game, go out there and give that a whirl at the university course. It's a lot of fun. All right, let's see. Got a couple more here, I think, before we get out of here. Yes, yeah, Silly Man Chili Man checking in here. Do you consider Chipotle to be fast food? I've only eaten Chipotle like twice. I don't understand the appeal of Chipotle. I think it's like decent. I don't understand the no queso thing. Um, but I consider it, I guess, kind of fast food. I consider it like not to use an industry term here, not to brag, I work for a grease company that works in the restaurant industry, but uh, quick service is what we call it in the biz. Uh, <laughs> I consider it a quick service restaurant, obviously. I think it's in that like in-between-ish area. Like is Nukes fast food? No. But is Chipotle Nukes? It's kind of in-between, halfway in-between fast food and like Nukes McAllister or something like that. So um, yeah, if you don't own any Chipotles, we'll take your grease. How about that? That's called uh, ambush marketing. All right, here we go. On Colby Joseph Wallace checking in here on Rebel Grove today, they talked about NIL and Billy Napier saying 20 million is the number they need to compete. Most schools can't compete in that. Uh, yeah, no shit. I don't mean that towards you, but of course, market competed that market. But what if Ole Miss kept using the portal and then every three to four years had a big NIL class similar to the way baseball classes are built? Ole Miss would still be behind Texas A&M's of the world, but at least they would compete every once every couple years instead of trying and falling short every year. I get what you're saying, but it doesn't necessarily like work like that because it's not a set amount of money filtering through. In baseball with the 11.7 scholarships, I don't know the exact amount of money, but at the end of the day, that's the exact amount of money, and they can kind of use it and build up to one big class like they do in baseball, as you mentioned. Football is not the same because, I mean – Depending on who you get out of the court portal, they're not as high on NIL. Those guys are mostly headed, you know, focused on trying to get to the league, but they also probably don't want to play completely for free. 
And so it would depend on who you got. You would still need to recruit the high school ranks pretty well just to compete at an SEC level and build depth. And those guys are certainly going to want NIL. Um, you know, would they war- you know, would that be the type of guy that warrants the same NIL, like the NIL that, you know, a and offering, like you said? No, but I don't think Ole Miss – Maybe I don't, I don't know enough about NIL. Truthfully, your theory could be completely correct, but I just think since it's not necessarily a set amount of money each year, I don't think you can be like in the business of putting it aside. I think you just got to take your resources and max them out every year. I don't think it's a bad theory, like I said. I just, without an X number, like set amount of money each year, because I would imagine it fluctuates depending on the player, depending on who's giving, depending on the business, a whole lot of different factors. Um, I would just try to max it out every year and just do as best you can. And yeah, Ole Miss hasn't compete. I can't compete with the pockets of an A&M, but guess who can't either? Alabama can't do that. Not to that level. Um, Auburn can't do that. Not to that level. They're probably a peg or two above Ole Miss, but Ole Miss is competing to uh, pretty admirably in the NIL front. And you talk about not being able to compete. Yeah, probably not an NIL, but hell man, they just went 10 and two. So I, you know, there's so much unknown about NIL. I think there's a gigantic market correction coming because I mean, the kid at Tennessee who's going to Tennessee, I think next year, gets the $8 million NIL deal. Okay, what happens if that kid sucks? He's 17 years old. The quarterback is West Coast kid. His name is escaping me. It doesn't matter. What happens if it su- he sucks? Is the guy that gave him $8 million probably going to be thrilled about that return on investment? I just can't imagine there's that many boosters out there that are like, sick. I shelled out $10 million bucks in NIL this year. Guess how many of them saw the field? One. I, pe- rich people didn't get rich by just pissing away money. And maybe they view it as the same like back channel stuff, like in the old days with Leo Lewis and all that. And you just, it's the cost of playing poker. But since it's publicly and out in the open, particularly when there's a branding aspect to it, I just can't imagine these guys are going to continue to pay upper six figures to sometimes ridiculous seven figures on 17 year old kids that are no guarantee to pan out by any stretch. So I think there's a market correction coming. I, I, I say there's probably some sort of, struck like rules or structuring or whatever you want to call it regulations being put on it but every time I go down this wormhole I've tried to write about this a couple times I just don't know what that looks like I don't think the federal government is going to get in the business of regulating NIL for college kids and so if that's not the case are the leagues going to do it it's probably going to work to their detriment so I don't think so and I don't think the schools are going to do it really the only people that can do it and are doing it are state state legislators but Where's the enforcement body on that? And ask half the compliance people, even if they don't want to admit it, nobody knows the rules. And so as much as I think there's going to be some sort of change to NIO, I don't know if it's going to come in the legislative form as, as much as it is a market correction. And so what does that look like in five years? Does, do we, does this cycle go 360 and it's all back to the same way it was 10 years ago where just Alabama A&M, they can pay dudes more than Ole Miss can, but you know, is that – ever not been the case if you know what I mean like it's like the the underbelly becomes you know comes to light is no longer the underbelly of the recruiting world but in terms of how much guys are getting does it cycle back towards that instead of these million dollar deals I tend to think that might be the case but who knows NIL is fascinating I'm gonna try to get an NIL attorney on to try to make sense of this been working on that for a couple weeks hopefully hopefully got something there soon appreciate the question though Fresno Bob checking into the show here with spring ball done, we'll see a next wave of players leave via the portal. Does Ole Miss lose anyone they want to keep? Um, depends on how you define want to keep. I do think there will be a guy or two that's a little bit of a head scratcher. Remember when, like, Jacques Jones left last year, and you're like, oh, feels like Ole Miss could have used him for depth. 
Well, turned out they were fine at linebacker. Maybe they'd have been injured a bit. They could have used him. But, like, he could have played and contributed for Ole Miss. I just don't think Jacquez Jones wanted to be a backup, like, rotation type guy in his junior year or senior year, whatever it was. And, you know, more power to him, nor should he. I'm not uh, – I don't mean that as a uh, slight on Jacquez Jones or, like, a, uh, a knock on his thinking. I think there will probably be some guys like that, guys get beat out. Maybe guys that were a starter a year ago kind of slip a little bit and want to go play somewhere else. I mean, you saw like a, like a Keydron Smith type. Is there another Key, Keydron Smith just went to uh, Kentucky? Is there another one of those on the roster where would Ole Miss like to have a Keydron Smith? Sure. Are they, you know, going to lose sleep that they lost him with what they have in the secondary? No, but it's not like they don't necessarily need him, depending on how you define need. And so, yeah, I do think there will be a couple of those. Um I think it matters where it is. Like, I don't think they can be in the business of affording, affording to lose, you know, defensive linemen that are going to play in the rotation. You know, the depth, they finally built it up. Kiffin was pleased with that. But, you know, you don't want to lose a guy or two from that. They certainly don't want to lose anyone on the offensive line. I don't necessarily foresee either of those being the case. Um, so, elsewhere, you know, it'll pop up. I'm just not sure where. And I don't think it'll make an earth-shattering difference with regards to this team's ceiling uh, in the fall. Appreciate the question, though. That was a good one. Uh, let's see. Did I miss anybody? Was that all of them we ran through? Oh, Douglas Pearson. Of your friend group, who has the best is the best wiffle ball player, and do you have any eligibility left? I know a guy who could use some talent. Buddy, I used to hit nukes in wiffle ball. I'm your guy. I'm just in Texas. Um, but if I had to nominate another one of my friends, Brent was pretty scrappy. Brent Ferguson, maybe give him a call. He's in the J- uh, Jackson area, so I think you two could uh, – work out a deal. I don't know what his NIL price is. I don't think he's with the Grove Collective, but I can uh, check with my folks on that. But uh, yeah, there you go. But uh, I could help if I would help if I could. Um, Here we go. One or two more. No, that was it. I think we got all of them. Yeah, that has been Mailbag Friday. How about that? That was, uh, that was pretty quick. Uh, I appreciate everyone tuning in. Hopefully we'll get to do more of these uh, as the schedule kind of gets a little bit back to normal. Um, So I appreciate everyone tuning in. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your day. Colin and I will be back at it with a Sunday conversation, I think. Look, if this team gets swept to go to 6 and 15, we might – I might try to work something different into the Monday show. But uh, probably a baseball show on Sunday. And then I got a couple guests next week that I think uh, people will enjoy. So you all have a great start to your weekend. Hopefully it's already underway. Hopefully you're doing something you enjoy something cold in your hand and we will uh, holler at you on Monday.